Brilliant. Well, um, as we begin, let me just pray. Heavenly Father, um, as we look at your word tonight, we trust that everything you say is true and is uh, powerful and sufficient to make us wise for salvation and to equip us to live for you. So please help us to do that. Give us ears to hear and open our hearts and minds that we might know and believe uh, what your word says and that we might be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. And God doesn't give up on the godly. He doesn't give up on his people. He doesn't give up on his promises. Do you believe that? Or do you perhaps think maybe God has given up? Perhaps you look at the world around you, full of violence and corruption, and you doubt God's in control. You doubt that he really is going to send his son to come and judge this present world and bring a new world of justice and righteousness and rest for his people. Perhaps you look at the church, especially um, in the West, and, and perhaps you think it's all just a bit of a mess. False teaching and immorality plague the church. And those who really do strive for godliness, those who really do hold to the truth, well, they just seem to face more and more hostility. And it doesn't matter whether you're God's people on the edge of the promised land or about to go into exile or you're God's people living in Chesington, things don't really seem like they're going to get any better. Has God forgotten his people? Has he forgotten his promises? Has he given up? And if he has, the next question is, should we? Should we give up striving for godliness in our own lives? Should we pack it in now and just stop meeting together? Should we stop sticking our necks on the line in personal evangelism? Should we just give up following Jesus altogether? And of course, the answer is we shouldn't. But we shouldn't because God hasn't given up. Because God doesn't give up. God knows how to preserve and to keep and to rescue his people and he knows how to judge the ungodly. He's proven it in the past and he's promised it for the future. He really will judge the wicked and he really, really will rescue the righteous. God hasn't given up 
He will really sort this world out. And we need to begin to or continue to live in light of that reality. And last week we saw um, that we live in a world that is kind of characterized by um, death and and sin. uh, A world plagued by the consequences of our rebellion against God. And just look down at Genesis uh, chapter 6 verses 5 to 8. It says, The Lord saw the wickedness of the world, and he saw the evil that plagues every man's heart. Not that they're um, as bad as they could be, but that in every way and all the time they are not as good as they should be. And God is saddened and pained by, God's, uh, by man's rebellion. So, look down at verse 7. The divine judge pronounces his judgment. He is going to judge the ungodly. He is going to judge the wicked. His judgment is universal and it's certainly deserved. And as we come to our passage tonight, we're going to start a new section of Genesis, a section that shows the ultimate end of sin really is God's judgment. But Even in judgment, in his grace, God rescues and preserves his people. Or in other words, God doesn't give up on the godly. He doesn't give up on his people and he doesn't give up on his promises. So firstly, and our first point for this evening will be, God really will judge the wicked. So look down at um, chapter 6, verse 9. I said it's a new section. That's um, because we have these kind of clear section breaks uh, through the book of Genesis, signaled by um, the repeated phrase, this is the account of. And here in verse 9 we read, this is the account of Noah and his family. Now, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And he had three sons. But in contrast, the world in which they lived was not like Noah. It was not righteous or blameless, and it did not walk faithfully with God. Instead, it was full of violence and was corrupt in God's sight. God created the world good, but now it was corrupted and ruined and spoilt by the sin and violence of man. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, and so in verse 13, God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, because the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And then again in verse 17, he says, I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under heavens every creature that has the breath of life in it everything on earth will perish god will destroy the world his world in judgment because of the sin and violence of man uh, notice um, it's spoken as a warning 
This is what God says he will um, do. He warns Noah in this part um, of the future judgment to come. And he also, uh, we're going to see, provides a plan of salvation for Noah and his family. Noah's commanded to build a boat to escape the floodwaters of God's judgment. Um, But we'll look a little bit more um, at that a bit later. Um, But before we do, um, we'll carry on in Genesis um, chapter 7. Verses 1 to 4, God speaks to Noah, and he again warns Noah of the future judgment. The judgment now, though, is imminent. It's only seven days away. And as God says, so it happens. Look down at verse, chapter 7, verse 11 and 12. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. The rain came down and it didn't stop. The flood began. And on that day, Noah hopped in the boat and the Lord Shut him in. But look down at verse 17. The flood kept coming and coming and coming. We're told for 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth. And in this little section, in verse 17 to 24, the tension reaches its climax. When we get this almost poetic telling of this kind of triumphant army of floodwaters sweeping away in chaos anything and everything that stood in its way the triumphant waters of God's judgment become a watery grave for everything else verse 17 the waters increased verse 18 the waters increased greatly Verse 19, they rose greatly until everything was covered. Verse 20, even the highest mountains are covered. Verse 21, every living thing that moved on land perished. Verse 22 and 23, every living thing was wiped from the earth. And I think... Um, probably our love for Noah as a children's classic has um, inoculated us to the utter horror of God's judgment. But it is truly horrifying. God knows how to punish sin big time. And the past event of the flood proves it. Human sin, our sin, pains God. It saddens God. God hates it and God must punish it. And we see that here in the flood. We should never be fooled into thinking that God doesn't know how to judge the wicked. We see here that he really, really does. And um, turn with me to 2 Peter, 
Um, uh, because Peter makes this exact point. Um, chapter 2, that's uh, 2 Peter, chapter 2, verses 5 to 9. Um, he says in verse 5, If God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, then, if you look at verse 9, he knows how to punish the ungodly, um, or he knows how to punish um, the unrighteous. If he did it then, then he surely knows how to do it. And he really does know. Don't be fooled into thinking he doesn't. A bit later on in in 2 Peter, um, chapter 3 this time, verses um, 3 to 10, Peter explains that in the last days, that's in the time we live in now, just like at the time, uh, in the times of the flood, people will scoff at the thought of God's judgment. Wanting to follow their own sinful desires, they'll ignore God's warning of judgment. They'll say, where is this coming, he promised. Nothing's changed in this world. Everything remains the same. God won't really come and judge. That's just your scare tactics as Christians, isn't it? That's just so harsh of what you call a loving God. That's just make-believe and fantasy. But, 2 Peter tells us, in verse 5, they deliberately forget, or um, they purposefully choose to ignore the very fact that God's already done it once before. He knows how, and he's promised he will do it again. God really will judge the ungodly. He hasn't given up on his promises. Um, Look down uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9, because there the apostle uh, Peter explains why God hasn't done it yet. It's not that he's forgotten, but it's that he's patient. He's purposefully waiting because he doesn't want people to perish. But instead, he wants people to repent, to turn from their rebellious ways, to recognize their need for forgiveness, and to surrender their lives to him as king and as savior. He's incredibly patient with rebels. He's at least 2,000 years worth of patience, patient with rebels. But don't be fooled into thinking that means judgment won't come. God has promised it. He has promised he will judge sin and sinners once and for all. And he's lovingly warned us that that will be the case. Will we listen or will we ignore? And perhaps the 2,000 years of Jesus not coming back to judge the world has made us dull to the reality um, of his return. Perhaps we've purposefully forgotten that God really will judge the wicked, um, the unbelieving, the ungodly. And if that's the case, 
We need to heed God's warning afresh again. We need to respond. We need to pray, go, and invite. Knowing that people really do need to hear of Jesus. Because they really do need rescuing. We need to recover the urgency in our personal evangelism. We need to warn people and we need to call them to repent. And I think it'd be worth me just saying now, if you are here and you're not yet a follower of the Lord Jesus, please hear this warning. God really does know how to judge. He's not slow, he's patient. He's graciously waiting for you. For you to turn to him for salvation before it's too late. Tomorrow may be too late. Next week may be too late. Putting it off uh, to nearer the end of your life may be too late. Respond to God's gracious warning tonight. The cost of not responding is far worse than the cost of surrendering your life to God and to his son, the Lord Jesus, now. So don't wait until it's too late. Well, we've seen God's um, total judgment. But is there any hope? Um, look back, turn back to Genesis. Sorry that there's a bit of um, turning back and forth. Um, uh, and look down at chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 7 and verse 23. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out, people and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds uh, were wiped from the earth. But we get a glimmer of hope as we see only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. And actually we're going to see it's more than just a glimmer of hope because God doesn't just know how to um, judge the ungodly, but he knows how to rescue the godly. And that's our second point. God really will rescue the godly. Even though God judges sin, in his grace, that is, in his undeserved and yet unreserved loving kindness, he keeps and he preserves and he rescues his people. Um, Chapter 7, verse 24, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days, but... Chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. God remembers Noah. That doesn't mean he forgot Noah. Um, The word 
uh, remembers is more, uh, less like a recalling word and more an action word. The word uh, remembers means God is going to act upon his promises to rescue Noah. And so God sends a wind and the waters begin to recede. God knows how to rescue the godly. And we're going to um, trace that back through um, the narrative. So turn uh, or look with me at chapter 6, verse 9. Um, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. In other words, um, Noah was a Christian. Um, this is just Old Testament language um, to say that Noah was a believer. Um, we don't want to be mistaken and think um, Noah was a perfect man and um, that's why he was saved. Um, the world was full of sin, but Noah was okay. He did enough good um, to tip the balance in his favor. No, just a few verses earlier um, uh, in chapter 6, verses 5 to 8, we've already looked at it. Um, God's verdict on the world is that all men are totally sinful. Um, not that they're as bad as they could be, but certainly um, at all times they're not as good as they should be. All men are sinners. Sin is universal. And that means it must include Noah too. But, chapter 6, verse 8 Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Well, that word favor could otherwise be translated grace. Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. God showers his undeserved and unreserved loving kindness on Noah. And through faith, Noah is gifted righteousness. In other words, it's, it's only because of verse 8 that verse 9 can be true. Or verse 9 is the necessary evidence that verse 8 is true. Noah is a believer, saved by grace through faith. And so verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, Blameless among the people of his time. He was a believer and he walked faithfully with God. In chapter 6, um, verses 13 to 21, God, uh, God warns Noah about the flood. He warns Noah of the future judgment to come. Uh, but he also provides a plan of salvation uh, for Noah and his family. Noah is to build a boat in order to escape the floodwaters. Um, of, God, of God's judgment. And look down at 6 verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. He totally believed what God said and he totally obeyed. Um, don't, you don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7, um, we're told that Noah here is actually an illustration of faith in practice. Um, faith is a sort of present certainty uh, in a future reality. It's believing what God says he will do and acting um, in light of that in the present. Um, so in Genesis chapter 6, verse 13 to 21, God warns Noah of the future judgment. 
And Noah believes God. He has faith. And we know this because he lives in the light of it. He obeys. He builds the boat. Noah recognized who he was dealing with. He knew when God says something, he means it. And so, because he believed God about the future, he obeyed God in the present. And again, in chapter 7, verse 1 to 4, God speaks to Noah. He again warns Noah of judgment. And this time, it's only seven days away. And he calls Noah to go from being a boat maker to a zookeeper as he tells him to gather the animals God has brought to him and put them in the boat to keep them alive. And again, verse 5, we're told Noah did all that the Lord commanded. He listens to God. He believes God. He obeys God. In other words, Noah responds in faith. Um, Faith is the opposite of sin. Sin doesn't believe what God says and so ignores what God says. But faith believes what God says about the future is true and lives in the light of it in the present. It's not some weird spiritual feeling or experience you have to have before you can start following Jesus. It is simply believing what God says about the future is true and living in the light of that now in the present. And that'll be hard sometimes. I imagine for Noah, it was pretty hard to build a boat in the middle of a desert. I imagine his friends from work probably laughed at him for listening to God and living his life for God. Um, They probably laughed uh, their heads off at him, actually, really. Um, He's probably seen uh, in the office as a bit of a religious nut, Um, someone who just takes this God stuff all a bit too seriously. Um, But we'll soon see that Noah's faith was not misplaced because God doesn't give up on the godly. Um, Chapter 8, verse 1, we've already read it. God remembered Noah. Just before it, we got that terrible picture of God's judgment. But in chapter 8, verse 1, we get wonderful words of rescue. God remembered Noah. And so God restrains the waters. The springs of the deep and the floodgates of heaven are shut. The rain stops falling. And the wind. uh, God sends the wind to cause the waters to recede. And in verse 5, the first signs of dry land appear as the tops of the mountains become visible and the ark comes to rest on the mountain of Ararat. And then um, a few verses on, verses 13 to 19, God calls Noah out of the boat. And Noah, as always, obeys. Noah comes out together with all his family for seemingly a fresh start, a new uh, beginning. Although um, next week we'll see it's not a totally new um, beginning. Um, And so at the flood, the ungodly and the unbelieving are judged. But the righteous, those who, like Noah, respond in faith, are saved. God shows. He proves it. He knows not only how to judge the ungodly, 
but how to rescue the righteous. So for the last time, turn back to, uh, to Peter with me. Um, because according to Peter, that's what the flood story is all about. That's its significance. So you look again at chapter 2, verses um, 5 to 9. Um, in chapters uh, 2, verse 5 to 9, Peter looks back uh, to the events of the past. In verse 5, he looks to the flood and he uses the argument that if God does verse 5, then we can be sure he'll do verse 9. So verse 5, if he judged the ungodly but protected the righteous and seven others, which of course he did, well then, verse 9 is true. God knows how to rescue the godly. Peter encourages us that God knows how to keep, to protect, to preserve, to rescue his people in trials both now and through to the judgment on the last day and through the judgment into eternity with God forever. God knows how to. He's already proven it at the flood. And God will rescue. So has God given up? Should we give up? Of course not. God has already proven through the events, uh, through the past events of Noah and the flood, that he can rescue his people. That he doesn't give up on his people or his promises. God has not given up. He doesn't give up on the godly. He doesn't give up on those who, like Noah, believe what God says about the future and respond in light of that in the present. Or to use Noah's terms, those who walk faithfully with God. Well, how are we to do that? Just um, three, three things. How are, we, how are we to respond? Firstly, make sure when judgment comes, you're inside the boat. Make sure you're ready. That is, make sure you do not ignore the warning. But instead, recognize the Lord is patient, waiting for you to repent to trust him and to surrender your life to him now. Secondly, in light of the reality of God's judgment and salvation, we are to be encouraged that God really will sort out all that is wrong with the world. He will judge the world with a purifying judgment, bringing about a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, truly new beginnings for his people, a world of righteousness and rest. And thirdly, we are to be challenged to live holy and godly lives. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 to 18, calls believers in light of God's judgment 
to strive for godliness, to make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him, to rejoice that his patience means salvation. We need to be concerned about our godliness. We need to strive to make every effort. And negatively, we're to be on guard from the lawless, from those who distort the truth so that we do not get carried away with them and fall from our secure position in Christ. We're to be discerning people who check everything according to what God says in his word, the Bible. And we're to do this because God does not give up on the godly. So don't give up, but be encouraged and press on in faith and godliness all the more knowing that God knows how to keep and rescue and preserve the godly. And he does not, he will not give up on his people or his promises. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you have lovingly and graciously warned us of the judgment that you have promised. Please give us ears to hear and hearts to believe. And help us to respond, to to live in light of that reality. To believe what you have said. To repent and to turn to you. And help us to strive, to make every effort to be found in Christ growing in godliness until he does return. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.